So as we begin this morning, let's just take a moment and breathe and be aware that you have a body. If that has escaped you up until this very moment, (laughs) it would be surprising, especially given what we're doing. Just noticing the sitting, breathing body. So this morning in our practice, we're going to be working with the third of the groups. So we'll do the recitation for that group to start our practice. So that's the one that begins with the heart. And we'll do it five times forward aloud, and then we'll do it five times silently. Heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs. 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 And then five times silently. So we'll begin this morning with the heart resting our attention with the heart. The color of the heart is usually seen to be red, but in the Buddhist texts, the colors of the heart can relate to the temperament. So for the wise, The heart is clear and bright, like a washed gem in pure water. For the faithful, it's yellow. For the speculative, it's light amber. For the greedy, it's red. For the hating or aversive, it's black. (laughs) And for the all washed up, It's all washed up for the deluded. The shape of the heart is like a lotus bud. The direction is that it's above the waist. And it's found between the two breasts inside the body, slightly to the left of the midline. It's bordered by the lungs and the back, 
behind the sternum or the breastplate bone. It's a hollow, muscular, contractile, 10-ounce organ, the center of the circulatory system. And here's some of the things it does. It pumps over 300 quarts of blood an hour. 300 quarts an hour. It provides propulsive force to circulate blood throughout the vascular system over 60,000 miles a day. The heart beats around 100,000 times every day and some 37 million times a year. The human heart can create enough pressure to squirt blood 30 feet. The heart. The next of the parts is the liver. The color of the liver is pinkish brown. And its shape is like an oblong ball, convex on its upper margin, concave on its lower margin. It's above the waist in the upper right quadrant of the abdominal cavity, resting just below the diaphragm. The liver lies to the right of the stomach and overlies the gallbladder. It's surrounded by digestive organs, circulation, respiration, and back. Its definition is that it's the largest internal glandular organ in the body. It weighs three to three and a half pounds. It's about the size of a football. The liver is the first to receive blood from the intestines, where the blood has absorbed the final products of digestion and decomposition. The liver removes toxic products and purifies digestion and assimilation. It incorporates amino acids into energy production. 
It synthesizes cholesterol as well as lipoproteins for the transport of fat to other body tissues. It converts fatty acids so they may be used as energy sources. The liver stores and releases sugar. The liver is the storage place for copper, iron, vitamin B12, and fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. And it excretes bile. In Greek mythology, Prometheus was punished by the gods for revealing fire to humans by being chained to a rock where a vulture would peck out his liver, which would regenerate overnight. And in fact, the liver is the only human internal organ that actually can regenerate itself to a considerable extent. The liver.
Next is the diaphragm. <clears throat> Some of you may be aware of the diaphragm as you're resting your attention with the breath. The color of the diaphragm is both white and red, and it's a thin, wide, elastic membrane shaped like a beanie. Its direction is above the waist, and it's in the abdomen and chest, separating the chest from the abdomen. And it's bordered by both the abdomen and the chest. Its definition is that it is a thin layer of muscle that separates the chest cavity containing the lungs and heart from the abdominal cavity, which contains the intestines and digestive organs. It extends across the bottom of the rib cage. What it does is that it contracts to promote inhalation, flattening downward and permitting the lungs to expand. It relaxes to promote exhalation, rising to its dome-shaped position and compressing the lungs. The diaphragm is also involved in non-respiratory functions, helping to expel vomit, feces, and urine from the body by increasing intra-abdominal pressure and preventing acid reflux by exerting pressure on the esophagus. The diaphragm also enhances blood, venous blood, and lymph returns to the heart. In a way, it is considered the venous symptom heart or pump. Diaphragm.
The next of the parts is the spleen. The color of the spleen is dark red, and it's shaped like a medium-sized water balloon. It's above the waist, and it's in the abdominal area lying in the upper left quadrant of the ab abdomen. And it's bordered near the intestines, chest, and back. And its definition is that it is an elongated, sponge-like tissue organ. Its function. Its function is that it is, is blood formation, and it acts as a reserve for red blood cells. The spleen also supports some immune function as well. There are old English usages such as being good-spleened, which means to be good-hearted or compassionate. In modern English, to vent one's, one's spleen means to vent one's anger. Similarly, the English term splenetic is used to describe a person in a foul mood. Spleen.
The last part in this group is the lungs. The lungs are dark red. And their shape is that they're like two melons that have been cut in half. The surface area of the lungs, the surface area, is approximately the same size as a tennis court. The direction is above the waist. The location is in the chest. And they are bordered by the abdomen, rib cage, the back, and the heart. The definition is that they are two cone-shaped, spongy organs of respiration. The primary purpose of the lungs is to bring air and blood into intimate contact so that oxygen can be added to the blood and carbon dioxide can be removed. This is achieved by two pumping systems, one moving gas and the other liquid. During a 24-hour period, the average human will breathe 23,040 times. Humans breathe 20 times per minute and more than 10 million times per year and about 700 million times in a lifetime. Lungs.
heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs. We tell you to sit here in the sitting, breathing body. While you are sitting here, the heart is pumping maybe 3,000 times in the 45 minutes. And it's pushing mm, 200 quarts of blood in that time. And the liver is busy sorting out your breakfast into what's useful and what's not, getting everything sent off into the right place. And the diaphragm is going up and down, ensuring that you breathe. And the spleen is doing whatever mysterious thing that the spleen does, helping to support your immune functions. And the lungs are breathing maybe about 900 times during the 45 minutes. You think you're sitting quietly. Let yourself relax into this body, this amazing body, knowing that so much is going on as you simply sit and give your attention to the present moment.
You have a body. Pretty amazing, huh? So much going on. It's one of the things I love about this practice is that when I'm done with the week, when we're done with the week, almost like I'm vibrating all the time with everything that's happening. And we're really getting into it with this particular group of the heart and the liver and the diaphragm and the spleen and the lungs. In case you get really interested when the retreat is over, on YouTube there's a video called What Does the Spleen Do? based on What Does the Fox Do? done by a group of Harvard medical students. So you can find out more about what the spleen does. Hmm. I had the great privilege a few weeks ago to take care of my relatively new great-nephew who was at that point about six months old, but he was born really early, so he wasn't quite at that level of development. And he was just figuring out about how to crawl. And he had the part where he could pull himself by his arms, but he hadn't figured out that he could use his legs. He was kind of trying to figure it out. And just watching this child sort out, what does this body do? You know, what can I do with it? And um, he was learning really fast. He's standing up now, actually. Um, But it's just so interesting to see that this body is pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. So, questions about the instructions, about anything that I said last night? Um, Maybe I'll lead off. Somebody wrote me a question and said, can you talk about the concept of equanimity? Uh, the definition and the application. She's going to. Well, you, we can wait until tonight. Let's just say it's both a practice, a path, and it's also the fruit of practice. And it's a, a, the ability to have some stability and balance in your experience. And I I like the word balance a lot. And I'll let Christiane flush that out this evening. And we'll see where we go. Please, Shane. When you describe where the body parts are, when you say on the right side, I'm assuming you're talking about when we look at someone as opposed to our own personal right side. Do you know? Personal. Personal. This is the author of the list over here, so... (laughs) Ah, please. Yes, I have some doubt. Bob talked about doubt. One is the size of the liver. Is that proportionate to the person? Because I have a very slim daughter, and I can't imagine a football. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor? It is proportionate. So the other question, if I may, is about the, the lungs, which size of a tennis court? Well, think about a a sponge. So we're talking about all the surface. So all those little cavities, and if you were to somehow flatten it all out. Now, tennis court, I mean, it's possible. 
you know, it's a little bigger or a little smaller. I think some of this, um, but, but it is huge. It's, it's like the um, thing that Bob was talking about yesterday about how many blood vessels in a square inch of skin. It's astonishing what's there. Yeah. So we're not just talking just the surface, the, the, the surface surface, if you will, but if you were to take the whole thing out, because that's how it, it has contact with, with the blood and the blood vessels. There's, there's lots of, it has to have lots of surface. Yeah. Please. Well, since we're giving you imagery, I don't think there's any problem with it. And I wouldn't worry too much about whether it's exactly right. More the awareness that, for example, the liver is in there and it's doing all that detoxifying. The lungs are busily sorting out, you know, getting oxygen in, getting carbon dioxide out. And all that is going on. And my own sense is whatever supports you in staying present with the practice is fine for this practice. Yeah. Please. And I see you back there. So some of the descriptions here uh, talk about emotions with the certain organ parts mm-hmm. and some don't. I wonder um, if, the, if the ancient teachings talked about emotions with each one of the parts. Especially like you didn't even mention uh, love with the, mm-hmm. with the heart. And that kind of thing, and anger. I'm not the author of the list, uh, and I think the list has been compiled out of a variety of things, and sometimes that has come in and sometimes it hasn't. Again, for those of you who, for example, the heart, that's a great example. We do think of the heart as having to do with love and, you know, Valentine's Day and all of that. Um, and so that's just true. And if that's helpful, again, to bring to your sense of this heart, or how I mean, how many times some of you who've been here before, probably those of you who are new haven't done this, when we teach loving kindness practice, and what do we tell you to do? <clears throat> Put your hand on your heart, right? Feel the heart energy. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Please, Lynn. My own sense is that it heightens mindfulness of the body. And I think each person, during the retreat, it's quite possible that some of the, the either the chant, the whole chant, or a particular group of parts, or a particular part, will come in as you sit. And then there will be other times when you'll go back to simply resting with the breath in a more generalized moment-to-moment awareness of the body, sounds, sensations, emotions arising, that kind of thing. It's whatever, so to do whatever keeps you most present in the moment. 
there is a way, and Bob teaches a class in Santa Cruz, of, that goes over an eight-month period where the, then the, this particular practice gets threaded through uh, over that period of time. And you can take it on as a way of developing, again, your own body awareness. Yeah? Please. Is the diaphragm? Mm-hmm. Feel free. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's sort of the same thing about well, why are there only thirty-two parts? You know, and what happened to the eyes, and what happened to you know the genitals, and what happened to and all of us. I mean, every person in this room probably has a part that's interesting to them that isn't on the list for some reason. And, and it's, it was a list that was created by male monastics, <laughs> probably somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500 years ago. So and in the original form, part of what it was to do was to begin to get the sense that this, this body is not something to be totally enamored of. Right? And in fact, it was, it's sometimes people sometimes have said to me, well, what are you doing with the 32 parts? That's about disgust with the body. <laughs> well, yes, it has been taught that way. And our good friend over here had the genius to realize that it was also a fabulous mindfulness practice, a way to really rest in the body. And yes, to begin to get the sense I mean, if, if all of this is going on and you're not telling it to do it, do you own this thing? You know, can you get your body to do what you want it to? I mean, a few times, yes. You know, if you say walk, it will usually walk, but sometimes it won't. Isn't that true, right? Sometimes you go, stand up, and if you're getting older, mm, you know, it might not stand up, or maybe you end up in one of those chairs, you know, that older people have, that you push the little button and the chair launches you into an upright position because your body won't anymore. It, begin, it falls apart. It gets sick. Can you tell your body not to get sick? No. So there's, it is a way also of beginning to see, oh, this, this, this process. We're a process. We're a colony of gazillions of organisms. You're only 10% human. Is that weird or what? You know? And, I mean, if you really want to get weird, we are stardust that came from some nebula that happened who knows when and created all of the elements that somehow made their way over billions of years into your body. What? How does that work? It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's a process that goes along for a while, and then it begins to slow down. Believe me, at 75, I know this. It begins to slow down. It won't do everything that you want it to do, despite the fact that I have this kind of fun and interesting life. 
but it won't do everything that you want it to do. And it will get slower and slower and slower, and then at some point it stops and it falls apart. And that's the beauty of the death meditation, because then um, you get to watch it. You, you know, and in a monastery, they would sometimes, and probably still do sometimes, if someone dies, they lay them out and they leave them there. There's Fred. And after a while, Fred begins to kind of fall apart. And then there's just bones, and ultimately there's just dust. And it's very, very sobering. I really encourage you, you could notice the things that are dead as you walk about the place. If you have occasion, if there's a dead animal someplace and you're walking, to just watch it begin to decay. Not quite the same as, a, as your fellow monk, but it's a good teaching. One year in, I used to teach in Montana a lot, and there was a dead elk that um, probably had been shot during the hunting season, wounded, and then wandered off and it died. And someone found the body early on in the retreat. It was still pretty elkish. It had its fur, and you could see, you know. But it already was host to many, many little creatures who were um, living in and on and around the body. And so people started just walking up during the retreat to reflect on death. And then the next year, because the retreat happened every year over quite some period of time, we went back up because a number of people sat the retreat every year. And there was way less. There was skin was pretty much gone, but it was still some skin, but there was no flesh. And by a couple of years later, the bones were really scattered around. And then after a while, there was no real indication that that particular elk had been there at that time. Great reflection. So these bodies, hmm, amazing and very impermanent. So that's probably a good place to stop, I think, for this morning, to reflect on that. Um, it's about time for the Qigong and the movement that will take you through the heart and liver and diaphragm and spleen and lungs. And just to remind you that the walking practice, when you have a chance to do the walking, is also an amazing way to be with the movement of the body. And um, I was really encouraged in my groups yesterday all of the people in my groups who were relatively new people were all really excited about walking practice, which is very unusual. There's almost always somebody who hates it. So uh, I'm glad you're all liking it. And if there's anybody here who's not liking, please work with it a little and explore the, the moving body. So thank you very much for your practice and have a wonderful day. Oh, and please, will you remember to wait for us to get out of the room before you get up and leave? That's really very helpful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.